What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 32 of the Rough Golf Podcast. Coming to you a little bit later than normally, but I wanted to view the Masters in its entirety so we could talk about it this week because, I mean, does it get any better than the Masters? It is a fantastic golf tournament. I absolutely love it. Been a favorite of mine since I was a little kid, and uh, I kind of feel like the Masters and, uh, you know, the Open Championship are kind of like just two of the best golf experiences you'll ever see for professional golf. I like them both. Yeah, you just, I can't help it but like it. We got a lot to talk about, and I'm actually going to start from the beginning and kind of work all the way through the Masters and then uh, finish up with, of course, the winner, John Rahm. I want to talk about the Icy Champions Dinner, okay? Yes, there were a lot of live golfers and PGA golfers involved with that Champions Dinner, and, uh, you know, there were some interesting things that transpired during that dinner. I want to talk about the new course change for uh, hole number 13, where they extended the length of the hole to try to, you know, have a little more risk versus reward uh, playing style and if it actually affected anything uh, over the weekend. Uh, cheating at the Masters, which if you haven't heard about it already, well, you're going to hear about it today. And then, of course, uh, we're going to talk about the Rom and Kepka battle uh, finishing out on Sunday. All right, Champions Dinner. So if you guys aren't familiar with the Champions Dinner, all past Masters champions are required to attend this dinner, along with Fred Redley or Ridley. I don't know what his last name is. I can't think of it, but he is the chairman of Augusta National, and he gets to attend as well. The past year's Masters champion is responsible for coming up with the menu, which was Scotty Scheffler. So he came up with the menu and uh, served it to everybody. And now you've got an environment. Let's 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 get into the environment of the Champions Dinner. Okay, you've got you know this this recent uh, battle between the Live Golfers and the PGA Golfers. Okay, so you've got a new wound, let's call it. But then you also have these old ties. You know these guys have played together for years, for decades in some case, you know, 30, 20 and 30 years in some cases. And uh, it's really hard, you know, even if you don't agree with somebody about a decision that they made, you know, obviously leaving from the PGA Tour to go to live, it's really hard when you're sitting next to them sharing a meal to, you know, keep that kind of like fire in the belly and, and hold that grudge against them. You know, you just start to kind of remember, uh, you know, some of the good times you've had out on tour, some of the um, issues you may have shared uh, coming up in your golfing career. So I think that, uh, you know, the fact that there were no major fights, you know, no, no, nobody was hit in the face or anything like that. It didn't turn into a Masters Championship dinner brawl, which maybe would have been interesting in its own right. But um, that makes me feel happy about the future of PGA and Live Golfers and what that could mean for both um, tours, uh, you know, possibly coming together. And I keep talking about it, guys, but I want to see it and doing like a golf, uh, you know, a, a major golf playoff where you've got top live golfers, top PGA golfers. I think it would be awesome. You know, I think that would be super, super cool. Um, but I want to talk about Phil Mickelson because he, apparently he was very quiet. Okay. He just did not say much at all. He sat there, he ate, he attended the dinner. If they don't attend the dinner, then they do get penalized. So, he had to. It's not like he could say, nah, you know, I just don't want to do it. He had to attend that dinner. 
But that shows that uh, even though he was vocal early on about the PGA and Live Golf, Course Masters is is kind of it's partnered with the PGA, but it's its own entity. So you know they're not necessarily beholden to the PGA. Um, but uh, to 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 see him and to know that you know he was able to kind of keep his cool uh, when I'm sure there were a few people in the room that he was not happy with. Um, that's you know. That's very professional of him, and I think that that speaks volumes about the future of these two tours moving forward. So I was happy to hear that, but um, I expect there to be more of a difficult environment. And it turns out that it really wasn't as bad as, as everybody was making out to be, you know. And that definitely, what I thought was going to happen was um, a lot of differing viewpoints were going to, you know, essentially cause chaos over some chicken tortilla soup. But that didn't happen. So, you know, it, it makes me wonder, is all of this banter back and forth between uh, the Live Golfers and the PGA Tour, is that just, you know, um, something that they're doing to get ratings? You know, is this a media drive, a media push? Is the golf media making it worse? I don't know. You know, I, I really don't know. I definitely you know, think that they want attention and they want, um, you know, a PR basically, good or bad, because people will start searching out, you know, Live Golf or PGA or whatnot. But it just makes me wonder if the feuds that the players are having are kind of like rigged a little bit, you know. Is, is it really true that they feel this angry at each other or at the tours or whatnot? I don't really know. You know, it's, it's hard to tell. But I think that this Champions Dinner uh, shows a lot of their true feelings because there weren't more um, stories about like, you know, hey, there's this huge fight at the Champions Dinner, somebody walked out, so on and so forth. So I think that is a, that's a good thing moving forward. I mean, these guys got to play together, you know, uh, and if they can play together and get along in a Masters tournament, uh, in a major championship with all that stress, then we see where this can go uh, in the future if we start having more live golfers and PGA golfers playing in the same field, you know, dining together, it just, it says a lot. So I think that that is fantastic. Even though Phil didn't say a whole lot, which I thought he would, um, it speaks volumes about the future for both of these tours together. Now we're going to talk about the change to Augusta. Hole number 13 known as Azalea uh, was lengthened. Okay. And it's been lengthened before, but what they've done is they've moved it up to 545 yards. So their intention was to increase the uh, risk versus reward playing style for this hole and making it very difficult for even the biggest hitters in the game to get there in two. Now, add that with the fact that most pros favor a fade to a draw, we now have a very difficult hole. And they want the fade, it was explained to me, because they want the ball to go out there and stop at a certain point so that they have a specific distance or a small window for their second shot in. Augusta is a course that favors players who draw the ball. So, you know, unless you're a lefty like Phil or Bubba, uh, when you go to um, fade the ball, you're going to be opposite of where you should be uh, per the course design because the course wants you to, to draw the ball, okay, not fade the ball. Now, I think any time you add... Uh, distance to a hole will make it more challenging and more exciting to play 
especially for the pros, it makes the game better. I mean, how do you guys feel? Do you think that lengthening the hole really wasn't, you know, useful? I mean, you guys saw the, the Masters Tournament, and I'm going to get into some of, uh, you know, some of how the hole was played by the pros, which is kind of interesting considering the, uh, the change to it. But let's just break the hole down for a second, okay? 545 yards, even if you drive the ball 350, which is a good pelt, okay? You're, you're smacking it out there. And uh, the averages for, I think the top average on the PGA Tour is Rory McIlroy at 327. The last time I checked, it might be a little bit less by now. But, um, you know, that's his average. So he's got to hit a good drive, get some good run out, uh, which was difficult because the course conditions weren't great. It was it was wet and soggy. They had trees coming down. So, you know, that just already makes the hole even more difficult to play. But let's say you put it out there 350. You still got 200 yards in. Now, unless you're Bryson DeChambeau and you've got your 7-iron tuned down to like a 4-iron, you're going to have to use a 4 or possibly 5, in some cases maybe even 3-iron, to get to the green. Now, I don't know about your experience out on the golf course, but when I try to go for a long iron into a green, especially a fast green, they don't really hold that well. I mean, you've got to have a, a nice high ball flight for it to land softly. You've got to, to time it correctly to make sure that it'll uh, hit the green in the right spot so that it rolls out the appropriate distance. I mean, if you just try to throw a dart with a three or four iron, I mean, unless you're Tiger Woods or someone with amazing iron play, I don't see that happening. And I think I read somewhere on, online that uh, the percentage of them actually holding the green was around 10%, which is not uh, very good odds um, for professional players, uh, you know, given the uh, risk versus reward on that hole. You know, might want to consider laying up. Now, um, when I looked at the, the, the breakdown, it seemed like about half the players tried to go for it and the other half decided to lay up. And I don't really know what the best play here would be. I mean, I guess it would depend on where you are. You know, are you in contention and are you looking at a, you know, a, a top 10 finish or possibly even first place for the Masters? If that's the case, I would probably play it safe and lay up because if you don't hit the nail on the head, then you are going to really hurt your chances of moving forward and staying in that top 10 finish or maybe even, you know, finishing up first place if you were in contention. Um, if you're way down in the pack, why not go for it and have some fun? So I think your position dictates, um, you know, how you play that hole, especially in the later part of the round. Now, Thursday and Friday, still, you're trying to make the cut. So why would you, you know, why wouldn't you want to play that hole a little conservatively? I think Mito Pereira was the only one, he's now a live player, um, to actually eagle that hole, and I think he holed out from the fairway. So it just shows you how difficult that hole is. There were some birdies out there. There were a lot more pars and bogeys. But, uh, you know, I, that change to lengthening the tee box and moving it back, or lengthening the hole and moving the tee box back, just shows that, uh, you know, a little change like that can have a profound impact on uh, your scorecard. So it was interesting to see how those those uh, professionals approached that newly uh, changed hole. What did you guys think about that? Did you think that um, the majority of pros that were out there playing that hole played it properly? Or do you think, you know, some of them are too conservative or some of them are too gung-ho? Let me know what you think down below. I'd really appreciate that. I want to hear what you have to say about, uh, about that hole number 13 and that new change.
We're going to move on to cheating at the Masters. Okay, now I I read about this um, and, and was surprised because with all the media attention on you as a professional golfer, when you're playing in the Masters, I cannot imagine that any golfer in his right mind would uh, would cheat. It's 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 abhorrent to the game to the tradition of golf. Golf is a sport where uh, you can penalize yourself. Not many sports out there allow you to do that. It's a game of, of honor, and um, any golfer that would that would cheat or try to you know, uh, you know fuzz the rules or whatever you want to call it is is not okay in my book. I think you should be honest, play to your ability, and uh, roll on with it. But uh, Brooks Kepka caddy on hole number 15 on Thursday appeared to mouth the word five to Gary Woodland's caddy. Now, this is what people are saying, that he possibly indicated the number of iron that uh, Kepka was hitting um, on that specific hole. Now, the other theory is that the caddy was reporting the iron that was hit to the film crew that didn't catch it uh, as they were filming. So there's some gray area there. And I have to wonder, okay, because of the nature of televised uh, golf, if, you know, it inevitably happens that a professional is going to hear what the other guy hit based off of the film crew saying, hey, what did you hit? Or someone on the film crew saying, oh, he looks like he's pulling out a five iron here. I mean, you know, how, how hard would that be for somebody to hear that? And I think that's just a part of the game that these professionals deal with. So whether or not they acted on that information is, you know, it's up for debate entirely. Now, Woodland and Kepka both say there was there was no cheating involved. Nobody asked for, uh, you know, any advice or anything like that, which is definitely against the rules. It can be a caddy or a player, um, any way you want to slice that. But uh, in, in an interview after he was finished, Kepka even said that... Um, that didn't happen because Woodland asked him what he hit as they were walking away after they had completed their shots. So uh, eventually the Masters um, rules and regulations people found that uh, Kepka was in the right and, and Woodland was in the right and nobody tried to cheat there or ask for advice. So he was not penalized and he was able to start the next day with the uh, appropriate score that he had made on Thursday. So that turned out to be just a, you know, a little dust up. Everybody is, is, there's a lot of eyes on the Masters. So if people feel like, um, you know, players cheating, then absolutely you need to call it out and call it for what it is. And uh, you got to let the rules guys get to the bottom of it. So I support that, uh, but I'm glad that there was not cheating involved. Now we move to another player, great iron player, Colin Morikawa. Uh, I really like to see him work his irons because he is magical and uh, does a great job with um, his iron play. But this doesn't involve iron play. This involves moving his golf ball illegally on the sixth green. Now, originally, when you watch the uh, the replay of this, okay, it appears that that Morikawa is setting his he's got a coin down, okay, his ball marker down. And it appears that he sets his ball like six inches in front of that uh, coin for his, for his ball marker and then moves the coin up behind the ball, picks the ball up, looks at his spot, lines the ball up, picks the coin up and rolls with it. Okay, so it, it originally appeared that he intentionally moved the ball up six inches from its original stopping position 
and then uh, tried to quickly place his coin and, you know, basically get himself six more inches closer to the hole. Did this really happen? No. Okay. Yes and no. Okay. It gets a little confusing. When they actually backed the, the camera up and, and looked at some of the footage prior to that, Morikawa had marked his ball, picked it up, okay, placed his ball back on the green, picked up his coin, and was standing over his ball at address and looking up at the hole. Now, he maintains that the ball rolled back from its original position where it had been, where it had stopped. He had marked it, picked it up, and put it back down, and it rolled by natural forces, okay? He didn't make a stroke on it. He didn't touch it with his foot or whatever, nothing weird like that. Natural forces rolled the ball back. At that point, you can almost hear him on the camera say, it rolled, or it rolled back. And he looks over at Matt Fitzpatrick and says, hey, this rolled back, I'm going to move it. I mean, this is the not verbatim what he said, but you can kind of glean that this is what he's saying. I'm going to move it. Are you okay with that? And Fitzpatrick seems to give him like a little head nod, like, yeah, I saw it, man, go ahead and replace it. So Morikawa comes up and says, okay, you know, after this round, this is what really happened. Standing over the ball, ball rolls back on its own. I am legally within the rules allowed to move that ball back to its original position, which you are if it's acted upon natural forces. And the thing that saved him was that the ball was marked and picked up and then replaced. If it were on the green and he were walking up to it, or if it were on the green and he were standing over it, but he never picked it up and it rolled back, then we have a gray area there because that is, uh, he, he, it's, move from its original spot to a new spot and it'd have to be played from the new spot. But once you mark it and pick it up, that changes the rules. Okay. So Morikawa was allowed to uh, move forward with this. He was not found to be cheating. He played by the rules. Good on you, Colin Morikawa. And uh, got to move forward. But, you know, this, this Kepka situation and the Morikawa situation really uh, lit a fire under a bunch of commentators out there and people watching the Masters thinking there was cheating going on. And I did too when I originally read the article, but doing a little more deep dive into what happened, you can understand how this could easily, easily be mistaken for uh, cheating when it really wasn't. He was within the rules, good deal. And Morikawa originally was like, you know, obviously he was upset. I mean, this is a huge tournament, it's a major and he was saying, yeah, you know, jump up that pip money. And we all know what the pip money is. It's, it's uh, people finding out about players and players having like this big persona uh, outside of golf and, you know, just drumming up their PR for themselves. You know, they're getting their name out there. They're building their brand. Uh, and the PGA Tour likes that and pays them for that. That's what the pip money's for. Okay, so that's P-I-P, pip money. But um, do you think that these claims are legitimate for uh, you know, what Kepka's caddy did and Colin Morikawa did. After viewing the footage and reading several articles, not just one, I maintain that both of them were in the right, they weren't doing anything wrong, and that this was just taken out of context. You know, but I don't know, what, what do you guys think? Do you think that, uh, that they were trying to pull one over on you? Hmm? Do you? I don't know. I have to find out. I certainly don't think so. Now, we're going to get to the nitty-gritty here. Rom beats Kepka, but... Here's the even cooler part that I think is awesome that not a lot of people are mentioning. Top 10 for Phil. I mean, he finished T2. He's 52 years old and he finished T2. How awesome is that? Go Phil Mickelson. I'm so happy for you, bro. Okay, that's that's fantastic. You played one heck of a round of golf. Okay, several rounds of great golf. And that's impressive to come up T2. Now, 
Going into the final round, it was looking like Kepka had it. Okay, so I think he was four strokes above uh, Rom, and it just looked like he was going to bring it home. But <laughs> the stress gets to us all, and I wonder if that's what happened to Kepka. Okay, I cannot imagine the amount of stress he had going into this last round for the Masters. Okay, leading by four. I mean, can you imagine carrying that on you? You know, it's the first time you're going to be winning the Masters. It's one of the premier, if not the premier, event in golf. And you have to, you know, battle for 18 holes. One small movement can send your game, you know, out of contention. You know, one uh, snap hook, one major slice, one bad lie in the rough, one water hazard, just anything. I cannot imagine that stress. You know, it's like playing the greatest, greatest round of your life and you're about to break 70, and you smack a tree, and it goes in the drink, and you have to take a drop, and now you finished with, uh, you know, 71 or 70. You just, it, 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 it would just be super stressful. And that's when, not when you have anybody watching you, when it's not even televised. You know, this is just you out on a course playing with a couple buddies. So I can't imagine the stress that he, he held going into it. I would almost rather uh, be in Rom's position and be coming from behind because you're like, well, I could make it. And hope is very strong, especially in the golf world. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely have a lot of hope when I go out there and I tee off until I finish up. You know, I hope that I'll do better on the next hole, that I will make fewer mistakes. And I think that's a very powerful motivator. And I think that's what helped propel Rom to his win. And I mean, in some of the, the uh, holes that Rom had for his final round, there were two and three putts. Okay, I mean, three putting, there was one hole we just like putted three different times, and it, I mean, they were short putts, and you could see his frustration. He wasn't really, you know, wowing anybody with his play. He made some good shots, yes, but it wasn't like textbook perfection golf, greens and regulation, nailing everything. He just, he played better than Kepka did, and I, I wonder, was that stress, you know, carrying the lead into the final day, you know, just try, just try to think about going to bed. The, the night before, you know, it's Saturday evening, you finished your last round, you've had your meal and you're trying to go to bed and just all the thoughts running around in your mind, I cannot imagine it. So he probably didn't sleep very well um, the night before his final round. Now, one thing a friend pointed out to me was how the announcers were almost uh, rooting for Rom to win even before he had a shot. You know, they, they, it's like they didn't want to identify Kepka as the potential winner because you know, maybe there's some tension for the live golfers out there. I don't know. I, I, I find it hard to believe that Augusta National will try to um, position itself in a way that it would be, I don't know. I don't want to say, you know, uh, for one tour and against another because I think it should be all about the players themselves, not which tour they are on or align themselves with. But, you know... And watching some of the replays, I was like, yeah, I, I can kind of get that. You know, I kind of I kind of see them, you know, uh, putting a lot more emphasis on the PGA Tour players and less emphasis on live golfers. So I don't think that that's really the right way to handle this. I think whoever's playing the best should, uh, you know, be given their, their uh, credit for playing really well. And, you know, there shouldn't be favorites. Uh, when it comes to tours where you're almost rooting for someone to lose, you should root for someone to play the best golf possible. 
And uh, I think that was interesting. So I'm glad he pointed that out to me because I didn't catch it at first. Now, I definitely support underdogs. Okay, I, I like that. I like when somebody comes from uh, you know lower in the uh, rankings and works their way up to win the tournament. I think. I mean, who doesn't like that? It's a great story. But it does seem like the announcers were you know a little on the nose with their uh, anger towards the live players. So I, I I don't know that I necessarily like that, and I don't want that in in uh, professional golf and in, in my golf. You know, guys, you're there to announce the. Uh, the play-by-play, and I, you know, definitely want some of your opinions on uh, some shots and the way things are played. But uh, let's not, uh, you know, just outright disregard some players in favor of another because they don't belong to a specific tour. So, but again, huge props to uh, Phil Mickelson. Just T2, amazing. What what great golfing ability? I mean, really, what great golfing ability it took to compete with guys who are driving the ball a very long way, farther than Phil, okay? I mean, he can hit it a real long way, but you got guys out there who are crushing the ball and getting it even further. And just the fact that he can, can keep up and compete and remain competitive, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, after all that he's been through and, and done, he just it just shows his amazing golfing ability. And I hope you guys enjoyed watching him play um, as much as I did. Uh, he really put on a great show. So, guys, that's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please leave a rating or review. Really, really helps out the pod, and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, keep on swinging.